Um, the reading today is in Luke chapter 2, and that's on page 1027 on the Church Bibles. So Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 8. So verse 8 says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Thanks, Ellie. Um, do keep that passage open in front of you, because we're going to refer to it as we go along. Um, my name is Josh. I'm on staff here at Christchurch. Um, we're going to spend a bit of time looking at that passage. The things I'm going to say are available, um, written down, printed out in uh, Farsi, if you'd like a copy. There have been some at the table. I don't know if they've all gone by now. And uh, a couple of copies in French. And if you want to have a copy in English, we only do that digitally, but you can get it by following the link that's on the screen, christchurchliverpool.org forward slash transcript. So hopefully you'll be able to uh, listen in and follow along in whatever way uh, is best for you. And before we uh, turn to this story, I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that today, as we look at this part of the Christmas story, that for us it wouldn't be a story, but a wonderful window into your magnificent glory, but something that compels our hearts with the joy of knowing that you come close. We pray that you'd work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So the children are woken up in the middle of the night by the sound of scuffling and grunting, and it seems to be coming from the chimney. So they make their way to the, the fireplace, and they have a peer up into it, and suddenly a boot pops out, and another boot. And... Um, out into the room falls a heavy-set man who's dressed all in red, and he's got a big white beard. Uh, and he says to the children, oh, it's a disaster. I've hurt, I don't know, I've hurt my arm or banged my head or twisted my ankle, and I won't be able to carry on with the deliveries of the night. And the children say, don't worry, we'll help you. And Santa says, you're not even supposed to know I'm here. But I do need the help. If I show you what to do, will you come on board with me? And they say yes, and they get on board the sleigh. They make the deliveries across the world in one night, and a million children all get presents by the next morning. Now, 
That might not be a particular specific book that you've read or a film you've seen or an advert you've seen, but that is an instantly recognisable storyline, isn't it, of um, the Christmas story that often gets um, shown on, in films and books, in, at least in, in the West and in our country. Um, because we're enchanted by this, that romantic idea, not only that Father Christmas is there, but that perhaps, perhaps someone could join him. Perhaps someone could enter into that world. Join Father Christmas and save Christmas at the last minute. Ideas like that make good stories. And they don't make good stories because they appeal to our love of helping people to do their jobs. Because we don't love that kind of thing. And they don't appeal to our love of being woken in the night to get on with some heavy lifting because we don't like that kind of thing. That is a good story that enchants us in our childhood because... We love the idea of being caught up into something bigger. We love the idea that behind the scenes, something important is going on. Something worldwide, something significant, something famous is going on. And we love the idea that maybe, just maybe, in the middle of the night one night, we might get caught up into that. I've got a friend um, who, years ago, it was weird, um, he used to sleep in his England kit just in case, I don't know what he expected, just in case for some reason, some, I don't know, tragedy or luck, um, there was not enough players to play for England. So he might get a call one night just to say, we need you to come and join us on the plane home from Qatar. Um, A bit weird, but you know, we love the idea of all of a sudden getting caught up into something bigger. You're not a part of it. You, you know, you don't even have anything to do with it, but maybe, just maybe, just maybe, just maybe you should sleep in your England kit because you never know. Um, but if you're hoping to be uh, called up by Gareth Southgate or whisked off by Santa Claus this Christmas Eve, um, word on the street so far is he's not looking. Uh, you're probably going to be disappointed But before your hopes are dashed, we're going to take a little look at this story in the Bible. This is actually a true story. It's in the Bible because it's a historical record. It's in Luke chapter 2. And we're going to see here something like that, but something even more enchanting, more real, more historic, that does actually, in the middle of the night, invite you and I to be caught up into something much bigger, much brighter, much more wonderful that's going on this Christmas. The story of the shepherds and the angels that you're probably familiar with from Christmas cards and nativity plays actually has a few really jarring surprises in it. Those this morning. And the first of those surprises shows us that God includes us. God's plan includes us. So let's enter the story. Come back with me to the hillside on the outskirts of Bethlehem. Now, remember, this is real history, so let's not paint it with the details from your Christmas cards. Let's think about it. It may not have been frosty and snow-covered. It's Middle East. It may have been a really hot, sticky, sweaty night. And the shepherds, well, they wouldn't necessarily be the cute little boys you see in the nativity plays with a newly washed tea towel and dad's tie tying it together. They might have been what we would call migrant workers. They may well be people who 
struggle for work all the time and don't have the right qualifications. And so they just work wherever they can. They barely get a wage. I don't know, they might have been really old, weathered shepherds in their 60s and 70s. Or maybe the farmer just sent his lads out on this particular night. We're not told how many of them there were. There might have just been two guys, 16 and 17-year-olds. We don't know. But what we do know is that they're not special. It's not a skilled job. It's not that the farmer puts his best men on the night shift overnight. This is minimum wage. The farmer just grabs anyone who's willing to work a night shift from the market square. Um, and as long as all the sheep are there in the morning, they get a shekel in their hand and they're sent on their way. The invisible people in their society. The kind of people that are awake all night. Doing a job that, uh, that needs to be done and that we probably expect does get done, but we don't want to see them doing it. They're the people who empty the bins that are on the streets, the people who fix the potholes, the people who change the bedding in the hotel rooms. We know it needs to get done, we just don't want to see them doing it. These are the people on the Uber Eats bikes. You see them everywhere, but you don't bother giving them a second look. Much to look at, so we don't. Society says that it's best that they just stay there, out in the fields, watching over the flocks by night. And then two things happen. Number one, an angel appears. Again, it's not a nativity play, so we're not looking at a kind of a you know, 10-year-old blonde girl with pale skin and a little bob and wings and a halo. Most of the time when angels appear in the Bible, they're dressed as looking just... Uh, sorry, they, they're just described as looking like men dressed in white. And the first words, angels say, their catchphrase, is always, don't be afraid. And that's because whatever it is they do look like, they terrify the life out of people whenever they arrive. And the second thing is that the glory of the Lord shone around. And we usually picture this as it's the angel sort of glowing like in the picture. Um, but it, we're not sure that it's shining from the angel. It might just be that one moment it's deep darkness of night. Next moment, it's bright daylight. In the night, day comes. And from the hillside all the way to the far hillside, the shepherds can see everything. One moment, it's gloom. The next moment, they can see every blade of grass and every hair on the fleece of the sheep. So one moment, it's dark and peaceful. Next moment, it's blindingly bright, terrifying, and there's an intruder right there in front of these guys. Now, they know what to do if there's a wolf. They know what to do if there's a mountain lion. So they do what they know best. By instinct, they're probably grasping for a rock in one hand and a massive stick in the other. The first thought that enters their mind together, however many there are, is, lads, can we take him? This isn't the cute kind of Christmas card scene. But the power and glory of the situation, and just to show you how terrified they are in fight, they, this tells them there's something different going on. It's not any old intruder. Daylight at night is not a normal thing. And then the angel speaks to them and says, do not be afraid. I'm here to bring you a message. I'm here to announce to you good news. And here's the really jarring thing. Now, I know it's weird. I know it's surprising to have an angel appear. But as far as the Bible is concerned, angels exist. 
and God sends them. So that's not actually that weird. No, here's what's weird. Put yourself in the shepherd's shoes. You're 70. And this is what you're doing with your life. Sitting, getting your feet dirty in pig muck, uh, uh, sheep muck. Sitting, chewing tobacco all night, telling jokes with the other 70-year-old shepherd. This is all your life has amounted to. The, the way you get in the morning is only enough to live off the next day. It's just hand-to-mouth existence. And you know, Bethlehem, just down the hill and across the field, that's just seen a massive influx of people this weekend, all kinds of people returning to their families. Some of them poor, but some of them rich. Some of those guys in Bethlehem, they've got contacts. Some of those guys in Bethlehem have got resources. Some of them are influential. So you're a shepherd. And the angel says, the news is for you. You'd probably have to wonder if God's got the wrong number here. You're invisible. Nobody looks at you. Everyone else is asleep and no one can see you. And in the daytime, you'll be asleep and no one can see you. No one cares about you. No one cares about your experience or your news. So here's what's weird. If this is really an announcement from heaven, why does it go to them? There's quite a lot of options. There's quite a lot of ways this could have gone. If God had a message to announce, he would tell it to the celebrities, not the hotel maids, right? He would tell the news outlets, not the street sweepers. If God wanted to announce good news to the world, he'd tell the kings and politicians and city councillors, not the guys on the Uber Eats bikes. This must be a mistake. These shepherds are invisible. But listen to what the angel says. He, he says, this is an announcement of good news that is great joy. And it's for all the people. And you know... It must be for all the people if it's being handed to the invisible people first. <laughs> if it's a message even for them, then it's a message for everyone. One of the things um, I really love about living in Liverpool is when they do filming for a TV series or a film um, here in the city. I don't know if anyone uh, saw Batman on the Liver building last year. Um, it's always quite exciting when the TV company drops a letter through your letterbox. Uh, we, it happens quite a lot in the places where we have our church offices. Um, they drop a letter through and it says this. Um, there's a Hollywood film going to be filmed soon and we're doing it right on your street. Great thing about living in Liverpool. Uh, it's exciting to hear there's something really big, something really famous, something worldwide is happening. And it's exciting to hear that that's happening just nearby. I mean, I'm not part of that. I've never been an extra on any of those films. But in some small way, it is exciting to get caught up into that, even if it just means me moving my car for the TV vans. Now, I mean, I know it's got nothing to do with me, but it's something I'll still tell people years later. In fact, you know, in uh, 2015, they filmed a scene from Peaky Blinders right outside my house. Now, don't worry if you've never seen Peaky Blinders. I've never seen it either, except this one scene, because I saw it live. Um, it's just, it was quite a popular show on British TV. But they filmed it outside my house. Why am I telling you that? Because I'm proud of it. Because I'm pleased. Because I was caught up into it. 
just by virtue of the fact I was looking out of my window and there they were on my doorstep. It's that excitement of just getting caught up into something bigger, something important, something famous. And here's why God sent the angel to the shepherds. Because God does have a big plan. He is doing something massive in the world. He's doing something significant. And he says, it includes you. If it's for the shepherds, if it's for the invisible people that society doesn't give a second look to, it includes you. You get to be caught up in what God is doing in the world. He invites you into it. Now, I think that's hugely encouraging. I love this passage of the Bible. I love that we get to read this every year. I love that it's not some little cute, benign, harmless scene with cute little shepherds with cute little lambs, the gentle shepherds with cuddly sheep. I love that this is the ugly and the smelly. It's the people discarded by society. And God says, look, anyone is included in what I'm doing in the world. Anyone's included in my plan. Look, I even sent angels to the shepherds. And if he included shepherds in the plan, then he includes you in his plan too. But what is that plan? What is that that we get caught up into? Well, it's this. It's the second thing. God's joy is shared with us. Uh, Back to the hillside. We haven't heard all that the angels said. Verse 11 continues what this angel is saying. He says, today in the town of David, here's what God is doing. In the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. Now, every word in that sentence is loaded with significant for the Jewish world in those days. So he refers to Bethlehem as the town of David. They'd have known that that's just like a sideways hint, that that town down there is the birthplace of kings. And he uses the words saviour and messiah. And they both point to the Jewish hope that God would one day send somebody as a king who would be the saviour of the world, who particularly would bring God's kingdom into full effect. So this announcement that is made, what God is doing in the world, he's saying this plan is still on. And it's happening today. And the plan fulfiller has been born. That's what God's doing in the world. But then, before they think about that and meditate on that, there's another fright for these strange drifters. We're told suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared. Again, let's just reset this. Christmas cards show one thing. The Bible says another here. It doesn't say anything here about angels with wings in the sky in a little choir with their trumpets. It says heavenly host. The heavenly host is a particular thing. When the Bible talks about the heavenly host, it talks about an army. So an army appears, probably on the ground, not with wings in the sky. An army appears, and it's vast, a great company, a vast army. In the blinding light, if the blinding light of God's glory is still shining over the hillside, then it might just be from horizon to horizon, from one hillside all the way to the far hillside, the shepherds can just look out and see rows and rows and rows of warriors, more than anyone can give a number for, a bit like trying to guess a number of a football crowd. It's the biggest gathering you've ever seen in your life. It might be 10,000, it might be 100,000. From horizon to horizon, it's just army. But the army doesn't draw weapons. Instead, they open their mouths and they sing. And they sing glory to God in the highest 
and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is an army appears singing songs of peace. Now, this is a glimpse of the glory of God in heaven. And this is the surprise that shows what God's plan is all about, that the shepherds are caught up into. They see and they hear the deafeningly loud, yet beautifully harmonious army choir, so that they can begin to understand that the announcement of the Messiah's birth is good news. That means anybody, even the invisible people in the world, can share in the joy of heaven. They're given a glimpse into the glory of heaven so that they can share in the joy of it. The king that was promised that is born in the birthplace of kings this night isn't the king of an earthly kingdom. The savior isn't going to be a savior who's going to go about saving people from their their day-to-day earthly problems. The king and the savior that's born is all about God's plan of drawing people up into his joy. Saving people from from the state of not knowing him so that they can be saved into the place of being in his glory and sharing his joy. In this story, it's amazing. We keep getting moments of extraordinary and extraordinary standing right next to each other. We've got the ordinary knight and then right next to that, the bright shining glory of the Lord. We've got ordinary shepherds and right next to that, the extraordinary song of the army of heaven. And this is the message that into people's mundane and dull and ordinary lives, God wants to reach out and catch people up into something bigger, something extraordinary, something amazing. His eternal plan to bring you into the glory and joy that he shares. Ordinary people, in your ordinary ways, what you're invited into is to share in the extraordinary glory and joy of heaven. Again, don't you just love that about this? The shepherds didn't get a message, didn't just get a message. They got a taste of heaven. So that when you've, if you've been a Christian for 20 years or two years, or you've never really thought about it, you're never invited into a life of just knowing the message that was told. You're never invited into a life of just ticking religious boxes but you've always been invited into the joy and peace of God's favor, which, when these guys saw it, was bright and loud and exhilarating and harmonious. There is something bigger going on in the world today. And the night the earth got a glimpse of it, it was an explosion of heaven's joy. But it all centers on the third surprise in this passage, and it's the most outrageous surprise, and that is that God becomes us. God becomes us. When I was in university, um, I, I thought it was quite cool to be one of those, one of those guys, one of those people who um, like to kind of put my kind of quirkiness on display, be a bit unorthodox, be a bit unusual. You might call it weird. It'd just be funny. I decided uh, that one day um, I would, instead of uh, drinking out of glasses in my house, and the really cool ones are drinking out of jars, I thought, well, you know, when, when guests come to my house, they're going to be drinking out of goblets. It's the kind of house I want to have. So I went on eBay, and I found a, a set uh, of what I thought would be a nice, rustic-looking goblets. And then a few days later, through the envelope, there was a, a, sorry, through the letterbox came a little envelope addressed to me. Just a small little envelope, the size of a Christmas card. I opened it up, and inside were... Um, 
six tiny doll's house goblets. And it turns out I'm not the only one who's fallen for this kind of thing. I looked it up um, recently. I've heard of some similar things. I don't know if you can make up all the pictures with chopping boards, um, deck chairs, boots, and a TV stand. Be careful what you buy on eBay that it doesn't turn up in a pocket-sized version. And there's an air of this um, underwhelming disappointment, I take it, in what the angel said to the shepherds. We skipped over it for a moment, but just before the heavenly army came with their song, the angel said this, this will be a sign to you, you'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now these are familiar words to most, maybe all of you by now, but let's not forget that this is actually quite weird. It's at odds with this glory shining from heaven. God's plan is catching you up into something wonderful. And it's going to be in this unexpectedly tiny package in cheap wrapping. But although this is, actually, this is an underwhelming climax to God's plan to share his joy with us, I do wonder whether this might actually have been better than you think. Would this not have been a profound comfort to those shepherds? That if God is going to act in history so that all people get to share in his joy, isn't it wonderful that he reaches all the way down to meet us in the low places? So that we can get caught up into something greater and more wonderful, he comes down, not just into our story, but he comes down to be alongside the lowest in our story. And I can only imagine what happens um, when they decide to go into Bethlehem. They start, it might be darkness again. The angels have left them. It's, it's dark. They, they decide to hurry on down to Bethlehem. And I don't know much about Bethlehem. Maybe they'd have known which houses are the rich houses who keep all their, their camels and their, their donkeys you know, outside in the paddock. And which houses would have been the poor ones, which have got the extra part on them come inside. Might not have been a stable. Lots of houses in those days had an animal section on the inside with mangers built in. They might have known where to look. They might not have known where to look. It may have been a lively night, given how busy it was, or it might have been quiet. They might have just found the only house with a light on. But however they did find it, they come to the door of the house where Mary and Joseph are. And presumably this is also some of Joseph's family, because uh, remember this is Joseph's hometown, so if you're going to go to your hometown, you're probably going to seek out some relatives. Um, and there might, everyone else from Joseph's family is going to have come back here for the census as well. Um, so there might be some brothers or cousins or um, uncles. But also there's maybe, it might be a kind of a secretive house because there's a scandal going on that this child was conceived outside of wedlock. So maybe in this house there's a lot of tension, a lot of stress that they want to keep this private as long as they can. And when random shepherds, Knock on the door in the middle of the night. It must be quite a scary experience for this tired and stressed out family. I don't know. How, how do you think the shepherds persuaded them to let them in? I don't know. Is it normal to let, new, to let random men into your house so that they can see your newborn baby when they come at two o'clock in the morning? It's weird. However it happened, they got in and they saw the baby lying in a trough. 
And presumably they'd have seen his mother post-labor at her most sweaty and most exhausted. And his adopted dad, nervous, terrified, shattered, dirty towels, dirty cloths in a bucket waiting to be washed, strange smells, not sure if it's the animal or the baby, and weird shepherds with their outdoorsy kind of smell and their lack of social skills. That, that right there, is where the ordinary meets the extraordinary. That right there is where God becomes us. He steps into the humanity that no one wants to know. So that as a human, he can make humanity right with God where that connection is broken. And so, the, so that the extraordinary God can be known by ordinary people who know poverty and rejection and ordinariness. In Jesus, the extraordinary God, in all his bright glory, comes down and he comes close. That's really great, because I can't say, personally, that I've had the shepherd experience. I honestly can't say that I've seen a hillside ablaze with the glory of God and a heavenly army singing. But you know what? I can say, and you can say, along with the shepherds, that God became like you. The angels, they were terrifying, and they didn't come close. But to this day, you and I can know that Jesus is one of us. He's God, and he's a human. He's the glorious God, and he's close. That's the, that's the romance of the Father for that we invent stories for. Not only that we hope there's something bigger and greater, but that we hope that we're included in it, that we're part of it. The hope that the hero can be known and close. But here's the real history of the real shepherds. They've seen a window into the great joy that they're caught up into, and now, here in this weird house-slash-stable situation, this is where real joy begins. Because they see that the hero has come close. God becomes one of them. So whatever, whatever Christmas is going to hold for you over the coming weeks, whether your Christmas is going to be really busy or whether it's going to be lonely, whether this Christmas is shaping up to be nice and relaxing or whether it's going to be stressful, the extraordinary God wants to meet you in the ordinary. Perhaps knowing that will move you will fill you so that you can sing with all the more joy and sing his praises when it comes to carol services or songs that we sing. Maybe knowing this, uh, this invitation will make you want to know more about Jesus at Christmas, if this is new to you. Or perhaps knowing all of this will be comfort in what is going to be a sorrowful Christmas. To know that the extraordinary God comes close and meets us in our low places. But whatever it is, let Christmas time be a time that points you to how God came low so that you really can be caught up into something bigger, something extraordinary, something real, more glorious and wonderful. One way that we've got to so that we can reflect on that and to express our participation in this bigger thing is when, as a church, we get to take communion together. And we're going to do that um, in a few minutes' time. Because that is all about 
us participating in something that says that Jesus shared a meal with his followers the night before he was crucified. And everything we've talked about this morning is, is tied up into that. Although he's the glorious God, the extraordinary God, Jesus is the ordinary man who dresses like a servant and washes their feet. And Jesus wanted everyone to remember that about him and to reflect on that. And he said that his body and blood was given for them so that they wouldn't be barred from God's joy and glory by their sin anymore. And because that truth never goes away and his holiness and humility and his death is always for us, then he said we can always come back to remember that when we take bread and wine. So we're going to move into taking that shortly. It'd be good to, uh, before we begin that, just have a moment of quiet to the joy or the, um, the comfort that uh, may have come to you as we've looked at the passage this morning. Have a moment perhaps to pray to God silently where you are um, and to even reflect on what we're about to do as we remember God come close in the person of Jesus, both in the manger and on the cross as we remember him in the bread and wine. So we're going to take a moment of quiet, and then after that, um, our leaders in taking communion.